You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Baseball for what it is. I mean, it's basically a 19th century game played in the pasture with a bunch of guys in knickers trying to hit a, a ball with a stick. I mean, what's amazing is the influence that has had. Baseball historian Paul Dixon today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. And a special greeting to you if you're finding us for the first time after seeing one of my videos on TikTok. Welcome to Now I've Heard Everything. Now, tomorrow night is baseball's all-star game. Did you ever stop to consider how many words and phrases in our everyday language actually come from baseball? For example, let's say you're having a big meeting, big presentation, and you do really well. You hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it fell flat and you struck out. Those are just two examples of the thousands of words the writer Paul Dixon managed to find for his 1989 book, The Dixon Baseball Dictionary. Even though it was published over 30 years ago, it remains perhaps the most definitive book about the subject of baseball terms, baseball slang, words that we've adopted from baseball. Paul and I talked about his book in 1989, one of several times he and I talked over the years. We go way back. So here now from 1989, Paul Dixon. Actually, it's my 19th book, and I feel that maybe after you do 18, in your 19th, you're allowed to put your name on on the title. I don't know. I wonder, you know, I couldn't help but thinking, as I'm thumbing through here, how many other people over the years talented, well-meaning, well-financed and researched people have tried to do this and have not even come close. Thank you. But I, you, know, well, you know what happened? It became an obsession. I started, I actually started working on this book in 1981, and it is now 1989. And uh, it, uh, well, a lot of what happened to me was I got so immersed in the, in the stories behind the words that I literally got in an airplane. You, know, you think of doing language research as something you do in a little squirrel into a little corner and, and, and work, but literally it's a very active, involving kind of thing to get out there. I mean, I went as far north as Belfast, Maine, and I went into the deepest heart of the Midwest, and I went to Cooperstown three or four times, which for a middle-aged man is a nice place to have to, have to go to go to work. <laughs> yes. um, and, I, and I really had fun, and the most fun, the absolute most fun was the detective work. I felt like a character in a, in a, in a mystery book because I, I, you'd get all these leads about where a certain term came from. And they'd all seem to, they would, some would be bogus and some seemed to be right. And then you'll, you know, you'd zero in on, and, and, and finally come up with some kind of conclusion on most of them at least. Now, I know that, uh, and I don't mean this in any kind of uh, uh, pejorative sense, but you're probably not as fussy as, say, Random House when they're putting together the dictionary of the English language because yeah. they have to keep files that for years and years it has to be used in so many places, sure. in so many contexts, and then, then it's declared an official word. Yes. For words, I accept anything that's uttered within the framework of baseball. <laughs> I have 5,000 baseball terms, which when I started the project, I said, if I'm lucky, I'll find 1,000 terms. However, the one thing where my standards were really strict were really trying to nail down, for example, the year in which the first the term first appeared in print. Now, obviously, if it, it goes out over, you know, on the, on the radio in 1932, it was hard to capture that. Although, in some cases, people did know to say a, a red barber saying something for the first time, they can pinpoint the game in which he he said that. But 
there, there are standards, but but not but the, the slang. I mean, obviously, other dictionaries would never accept something like Linda Ronstadt fastball, which is uh, I accepted because that was a wonderful example of players who use puns. And a Linda Ronstadt fastball is a she did a record called Blue Bayou, so it's a fastball that's come so fast that it blew by you. You know, and the players have always done this. Another term they had in the in the 30s and, and 20s was a Titanic. And instead of being a powerful blast, because Titanic implies power and everything, it was a sinking liner, which, of course, was the Titanic, which was a sinking liner. Um, so there's a lot of humor, a lot of uh, – a current player term is for, for a home run is dial eight. And, of course, the players are always in hotel rooms. And in a hotel room, if you want long distance, you dial eight. So uh, the other one I love, a recent one, is bat boy shot. And bat boy shot is the one that hits so powerfully and so hard – uh, it's such a, a long ball that you just take your bat and you have time to hand it to the bat boy before you walk, go around the bases. <laughs> you know, I, I always have, whenever I get a new dictionary, yeah. or, you know, a dictionary of the English language, there's two or three words that I always yeah. look up just to see. Not that they're obscure words, but I just yeah. want to see. But with yours, I figured, all right, now I'm going to look up an obscure term. I'm going to see if it's in here. And sure enough, you had bees in the bat in here. <laughs> and that that clinched it for me. I figured this has got to be the authoritative book. I, I, I thought I was the only person who has ever heard of the term bees in the bat. That's a good term, though. And in fact, kids, if when kids hear that term, especially at little league level, that happens to them a lot. It's when you hit the ball in such an awkward or an odd manner or off the or off it's center. it's very cold. Yeah, it's very cold. And the bat, bat reverberates. Or, or you basically get this pain in your forearm and your hand. And, and I used to watch Cubs games. Uh, at home, and I uh, years ago when I was a kid, and Ernie Banks one day said that yeah. it was so cold today that at Wrigley that we had bees in the bat. That's <laughs> I was also surprised. I guess I shouldn't have been, but I am that so many terms that started in baseball have now become part of our standard English language. Yes, yes. and there. I mean, the obvious ones we know: get to first base, you know, hit a home run in a metaphoric manner. And of course, you know what a metaphor is. It's a place to play baseball. What's a metaphor? No, never mind. Uh, but what, you, what, what happened was I kept finding terms that I didn't expect came out of baseball. In other words, back-to-back. -back. If you say Dustin Hoffman just had two back-to-back -back hit movies, that is from baseball. Uh, the breaks, the breaks of the game, that kind of term. Boner, meaning a mistake or an accident. That came from Merkel's boner. That was right out of baseball. The man who invented or, or gave the name to the fly swatter got the idea at a baseball game. He saw the fly ball, he saw the guy swat it, and he said, gee, there's some good terminology here. And basically he named the fly swatter. Uh, and, of course, box score. I mean, you don't even think anymore. When the president, after a year, often our modern presidents will say, well, my box score after one year is, you know, five pieces of legislation, all of which passed. Well, those kind of terms came out of baseball directly. And so, and so our language would be poorer for it. I mean, rookies and bleachers. I mean, you can go to a rock concert and sit in bleachers. Uh, Southpaws are in boxing now. I mean, or anywhere. You could have a southpaw who, who uh, knits. I don't know. But, but the fact <laughs> of the matter is, it, it, I, I think I came up with a, I know it's about 400 uh, words and phrases that are now very much part of the language. Not only just American English, but even they've gone back to the old country. Now, refresh my memory. I, I, I think it was you that was telling me, and I thought I'd write in here, that out of left field is, yes, is yes. a term that, that it, and of course, out of left field is an idea that's that's bizarre, that's weird. But Yeah, it's one one brick short of a load. Sort of. <laughs> what are those terms? Those wonderful English terms. One donut short of a dozen. Um, but out of left field, I always thought, and, I, and this is what I'd been brought up on this story because I grew up in New York, was that in the in years past, when Babe Ruth was playing at Yankee Stadium, the kids would go to the bleachers for a half a buck. 
and that and a kid that was really out of it, really out of it, would go into left field because Ruth was in right. So they'd pay their 50 cents and watch some guy out in, in left field. So they would say he's out in left field. But when I got into the book and the research for the book, I found that it went way back before Ruth. And what I came up with, and I got verification, I've seen all the, and it's so, it's so perfect, you can't believe it. The term actually came from an old baseball park in Chicago that was ripped down in 1893 for the, 1892 for the Columbian Exposition. And in fact, in the original plats and the maps of the, of the ballpark, you see that outside the left field wall was the state hospital for the uh, state insane asylum. So out left field was literally meant it's out, um, out, out by the asylum. <laughs> I mean, some of these things, the wonderful thing is when you hit, when you actually find the, the connection, and it becomes apparent where it came from. It's like, it's like you, your, your appreciation of that term totally changes. After this short break, the true origins of more baseball terms. Now back to my 1989 interview with Paul Dixon. Dugout is fairly obvious because yeah. it's an area that is yep. dug out. But where did bullpen come from? Bullpen appears to have come from, this is a marvelous thing, and, and there's a picture in the book that, that sort of brings it all into focus. But, but bullpen, uh, around the turn of the century, up through about 1912, uh, every ballpark in America, minor and major league, every one of them, and there were more minor league teams then, had an immense wooden Bull Durham tobacco sign that stretched across the outfield wall. The deal was, and it was very much in people's consciousness, because a player who hit the Bull Durham, the Bull, on the fly, got 50 bucks in a case of tobacco. Well, especially for minor leaguers, 50 bucks was a fortune in 1911, say. And what happened was also was the only place in a ballpark where there was any shade to speak of, be under the sign. And one of the things that, that, that in those days, of course, you played no night games to speak of. So you were playing all of your day, most of your games in bright sunlight. So the pitchers, the relievers, would warm up under the Bull Durham sign. The shadow of it, at least, and then that's that's. Uh, I think that's where the, there's some other evidence for other theories, but I think that's really where it came from. Was that association with this immense bull in the outfield? Did you find that there was any one particular player or manager or coach or umpire, whoever, that came up with more entries than others? I mean, does anybody stick out in your mind? Yeah, yeah. There's some. I mean, some, the early early people it was easy because they were just filling in the blanks. I mean, uh, I mean, one of the most influential people was one of the first sports writers who was an Englishman who never knew heard of baseball, but he's the first guy to really he, he would cover sports in England in the in the early 19th century and he covered sports racing and boxing and he probably gave us the fan the term fan for example because he he described these dandies who paraded around London at, with their with their they drank a lot and they had beautiful women and they dressed in a and they were called the fancy and these were the people who followed the boxers they were usually high-born uh, aristocratic guys and that term became the fans, after a while, the fancy to the fans. So it's not short for fanatic. That helped. That happened later, but but the term was clearly in the le in the lexicon of sports before that. But in this century, you ask who were the most influential. I mean, Red Barber was immensely instrumental. Dizzy Dean was another one. Uh, Finley Peter Dunn. A lot of the early writers in Chicago who uh, went on to do other things. Um, Finley Peter Dunn being among them, a Amer famous American humorist. I mean, the writers, starting with Walt Whitman was a beat reporter for the Brooklyn Eagle who covered baseball in the early days. Uh, so you, there, there are a lot of it. I mean, Stengel, of course, had a great influence. Yogi Berra, 
uh, to this very moment as having a great influence on the way people talk and, and describe baseball. But there are a number of colorful people. I mean, most of them, there are very few people behind the scenes that change the language. They're mostly the colorful, the Red Barbers and the Dizzy Deans are the ones who've, who've really had the impact. I'm wondering how many other fields of interest besides baseball have contributed so many words. I mean, if, probably if you went in the military, you could find yeah. many. You know, somewhere yeah. deep in the Pentagon, there's sure. probably 5,000 sure. <laughs> words yeah. that that are that are unique to that. But it seems like this has contributed. Of course, it's been around for over 100 yeah. years, so I guess it would make sense. Oh, I think the things you have to look to to find even an also-ran to baseball having an influence on the greater language, I think you could probably say pop music, including jazz, uh, the whole communications media as a as a as a central package. World War II, which had a tremendous influence on the way we talk. A few, but they're monumental. They're big, huge food. I mean, the whole business of ethnic foods that we've indulged in after World Sex. War II. Sex, violence, <laughs> Saxon violence. No, uh, no but the, so but baseball for what it is. I mean, it's basically a 19th century game played in the pasture with a bunch of guys in knickers. I mean, that's what it really amounts to, <laughs> trying to hit a, a ball with a stick. I mean, that's that. what's amazing is the influence that has had, even at this moment. You know, people say, give me a ballpark figure, which is ironic because of all things, baseball keeps perfect statistics. So when somebody says, give me a ballpark figure, they want an estimate. They want to enforce base, – baseball never estimates anything. They, they People are kids. Know what? Know what? Mel Ott's batting average was down to the third decimal. I mean, they, you know. But baseball is the only team sport that does not have a uniform playing field. Oh yeah. Oh that. Oh and that. And that is true. Uh, the, the, the idiosyncrasies in baseball are, are tremendous, including language. For example, if the NFL plays in a stadium uh, on a Sunday, the players go to the locker room. On Monday, it becomes a ballpark. The same. The same structure. <laughs> the players go into a clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> There are no referees. There are umpires. I mean, it goes on and on. A strike on Sunday is a is a is a like a military strike, like a bombing in the end zone. On Monday, it's a guy who doesn't have the energy, the skill, or the eye to hit the ball. He swings and misses. I mean, it's a, it's total. And the and the terminology. I mean, rhubarb, can of corn, cup of coffee, uh, pea. You know, for a, for a ball. I mean, a tomato, a tater. I mean, it's, it sounds like a farm stand in the middle of the 19th century. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, I really must feel very sorry for you. It must have been terribly, drudgingly worked to, to put together something of this, a tome of this magnitude. A person my age shouldn't have this much fun. I should be out doing like a living. I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't be allowed. I should be arrested for this. If, I, if somebody told me when I was a kid I could be getting away with this, I'd say, nah, you can't do that. You're supposed to <laughs> go out and sell something or... I mean, I'm selling something, or you sell your books, but I really, to be serious for a second, I really had fun. And what I really had the most fun with was just that tracking, that 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 Ellery Queen. But that's Columbia. your shtick, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you're so good at that. I don't know, that, but I enjoy it. And that, and that probably allows me, I enjoy it so much that if I was doing something else all day, I was selling wristwatches all day, I'd come home at night and do this. So it gives me a tremendous amount of energy to know that I, I that's what I really want to be doing. Now, you've collected names, you've collected uh, uh, words, you've collected family words, you've collected yeah. baseball words. What, what are you collecting now? Oh, I'm working on a slang book, topical slang, doing group by group, you know, 
prisoner slang, army slang, teenage slang, surfer slang. Uh, I'm, I'm working in a lot of Of course, the teenage slang, you'll have to issue a, a yearbook, uh, yes. a semi a semi yearbook, you know, twice a That's year. Right. That's right. I'm going to have it with a big warning because it changes about every two years. <laughs> and then it comes back right in the middle of saying, you know, all of a sudden, geek hasn't been used for 20 years for a nerd. The kids will say, you don't say nerd anymore, you say geek. geek and I yes. said, oh, my father said geek. <laughs> This has been great fun. I mean, talk about doing something that yeah. you enjoy and getting. Yeah. Oh no, one thing. You know, one funny thing. It is funny. A point that that I thought, but there has been a lot of react over time. Baseball slang has gotten people upset, and there actually was a time in American history when they uh, tried to ban it. I mean, there was a group at the University of Chicago that felt it was a a danger to the republic, and they wanted newspapers to describe. Uh, baseball games in dictionary English, and it, it was dreadful. <laughs> the experiments were dreadful. It looked like a description of a you know a Grange meeting or something. And you can get the Dixon Baseball Dictionary by clicking on the link in our show notes, or by going to our website heardeverything.com. And heardeverything.com is where you'll also find my 1989 interview with former Major League umpire Ron Luciano. When I was umpiring, I would walk out in the field, and you know they'd start booing. And I'd say, I didn't do anything yet. You know? <laughs> Wait. And they would yell certain things, you know, um, shake your head, your eyes are stuck, you know, uh, you poke a hole in that mask so you can see. And the one that drove me up a wall, the one that really, really bothered and got deep down, move around, you're killing the grass. And my 1988 conversation with former major leaguer turned broadcaster and game show host Joe Garagiola. I've been on ball clubs where we didn't set any records, but I was on the Pittsburgh club. We lost 112 games out of 154, so uh, I kind of placed myself on an expert on slumps. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of every week. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Please subscribe today if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything. It's the anniversary of the Apollo moon landing coming up in a couple of days. So we'll be revisiting my 1994 interview with a man who was one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts and who later became the oldest man to ever walk on the surface of the moon. My 1994 conversation with astronaut Alan Shepard. Looking up in the black sky at the planet Earth, starting to get a little bit emotional at this point. Actually, I wept. Uh, the tears just rolled down my cheeks, and uh, I never would have predicted that to happen, but it was a very, very emotional moment for me. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.